Okay, so welcome to the next instalment of the GigCX Decoded podcast, where we dive into the world of customer services in general, but with a bit of a GigCX slant, um, unashamedly, because that's what Limitless is all about. And uh, I'm your host, I'm Chris Dumbleton, Chief Sales Officer here at Goodship Limitless. Uh, on this podcast, as always, what we do is bring on other people uh, that are far cleverer than I to talk through um, their perspectives on customer service and, and talk a bit about where they see potentially gig playing a role in that. And um, hopefully, people listening can um, can get something can get something from that. So today, um, got another stellar guest. We're, we're definitely lining them up at the moment, and um, very pleased to so we have uh, Ian Golding on the show. Um, Ian has been in this industry a very long time. Uh, he's written a book, which is fantastic, and I've got a question about that in a second. Ian, that's going to be the first mm-hmm. thing I'll ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, r- rather than me give you the bio. Let's start with you. Tell us who you are, what you do, and, and then we'll then I'll ask my first question. Well, well, the first thing, Chris, is that I can't promise that I'm cleverer than you. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not so sure I'm cleverer than many people, but um, uh, thank you for firstly having me uh, on today. I'm delighted to chat about this subject whenever I get the chance. Yeah. Um, as you say, I have been doing this a long time. Um, it, it's a mystery to most people why I haven't gone grey. Um, <laughs> but I, I've been a, in and around the industry of customer experience for 28 years now. Mm. 17 years on the inside of corporate organisations, last 11 years working independently, um, to date in 59 countries around the world with almost every industry you can imagine. So I, I've got a, a very unusual insight in the way into the way customer experience is evolving around the world mm. um, and i've worked on every continent on earth except antarctica which i don't think will change anytime soon um, I don't, they don't have a really big contact center no, not, not so sure no so no. um yeah. so, so obviously i'm i'm always happy to share whatever knowledge that i gather uh, i'm a yeah. a big fan of shamelessly stealing so if anyone can steal what is in my head um, not all of it they'll want, but I will do my best to, to get it out. And, and if they can steal it uh, for money, that's probably even well, better, right? Yeah, but, you know, it's it's not my primary motivation, but <laughs> I, I do need to put food on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. I hear. You. So you mentioned at the start you've done a lot of so you know from the inside corporate world. Just expand a bit more about that. Is that from being so in the, I, the industry? Um, from... Yeah, I started my career in financial services. Right. Um, I worked for the Royal Bank of Scotland, Deutsche Bank, um, ultimately ended up at GE Capital. Uh Um, It it might sound quite extreme for me to say what I'm about to say, but GE changed my life. Um, In a good way? In a good way. I'm old enough to have been there when Jack Welsh was still CEO. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And anyone that knows anything about Mm. leadership and Jack Welsh will understand that Mm. um, that was quite an inspirational time Mm. um i left ge and this won't surprise you to hear me say what i'm about to say but spent the worst worst six months of my life in outsourcing um (laughs) uh it it was a bit of a shock to the system really um Mm. a little bit of naivety on my front that i thought the organization wanted to do the right thing for Mm. its clients but actually that isn't what it wanted to do um i managed to escape that and went into food service and spent 18 months for Brake Brothers, who oh, yeah. those yeah. listening in the UK will know who Brake Brothers are. Yep. Um, and then ultimately ended up in online retail. And I spent seven years as head of group customer experience for an organization that's now known as The Very Group. 
um, oh, but yeah. at the time was known as Shop Direct Group. So uh, uh, a huge variety of different um, industry environments that I worked in. But I will say quite categorically that 17 years as an employee mm. for me was like pushing water uphill for 17 mm. years. Um, so coming out of the corporate world and becoming independent, mm. again, was another sort of life transforming experience for me and people do ask me will i ever go back into the corporate world and the answer to that is it is exceptionally unlikely <laughs> that's a very strong answer and so you you've done the big shift from being um so you you've painted a picture there of like it's pushing water up here when you're inside and you're in contact centers and then What's it been like on the other side then? So you've gone from pushing water yeah. uphill. Now you can come at these yeah. organisations well, without any of the traffic. The big difference is that, that my my philosophy, even subconsciously, because I, I didn't realise in the early stages of my career that it was my philosophy, it is that I want to do the right thing, the mm. right thing for the people I work with and the right thing for the customer. because. Mm. To me, from day one as an employee, that's just that's what you that's what you do. I mean, that's just mm. logical. Um, but what I couldn't understand throughout my career is that people didn't seem to want me to do that. You know, whenever I did the right thing, I was told off for doing the right thing. Don't just mm. do what you're told, Ian. Don't think. You know, just get on, just hit the numbers. Don't. Um, and and the more I progressed in my career on the inside of corporates, the more adamant I became about making organizations understand that if we don't do the right thing there'll be consequences mm. now, now the, the problem is is that even if you're employed in a customer service role or a customer experience role um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the organization wants you to do what is right for the customer in those roles mm -hmm. bizarrely and so you are not really being asked to do the things that you want to do the difference on going the other side and coming outside is that now people are asking me to come and do these things, <laughs> you know. So it, it, it suddenly mm. it's a very different story. And it's like, Ian, come and tell us what we need to do. Uh, and, it, you know, at the beginning, it's a bit a bit of an overwhelming situation. Um, my, my very first client, actually, I was given an hour to present to the board of directors my diagnosis, so to speak, of the experience they were delivering. And in that hour, everything I said, they agreed with. It, it was the most surreal hour of my working life at the time because right. I'd spent 17 years with everyone disagreeing with everything I said. And right. suddenly they're all going, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But um, the, the, the challenge then is, is that you've got to control your enthusiasm and passion because mm -hmm. the risk of being asked to come and tell an organization what it needs to do is that you, you charge in all guns blazing and tell them far too much, far too soon. And they're not quite ready for it. And and this is why I, I like to think of myself as a specialist in what I do, mm. not an expert, because expert, which I do get called a lot, suggests I know everything. Um, no one knows everything. And the role of a specialist is to never stop learning. And I, I have got what I do wrong many times and I will continue to get it wrong. But it's from getting it wrong that you then start to appreciate how you can do it better the next time around and do it differently. So, um, so that's the big difference. You know, you, 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 the organizations you work in don't necessarily want you to do it. When you become a consultant on the other side, they want you to do it. Um, mm. And it's a very different environment. So you, 
back in, I think, 2018, wrote a book called Customer oh, What? Yes. Um, so my first sort of question to you really is that what would you, do you feel you need to update that book because of what's gone in the last five years? And if so, what would you update it with? What a great question. I've never been asked that question. <laughs> um, so the reason I wrote the book is because I, the, the week I went independent, I, I wrote my first blog post. Right. Um, and it, it was a bit like a midlife crisis. I quite enjoyed it. And I just carried on writing every week for about six years right. until I published the book. Um, and that book is quite different to other texts that you'll find in CX because I wanted it to be very practical. I wanted it to be very matter of fact. In, in fact, anyone that reads it hears my voice. You know, it's quite obvious that it's Ian talking in, in written form. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why it's so big. <laughs> it's, it's actually quite a big weighty thing. Um, would I update it is a brilliant question. And the answer to that is I probably could to a degree, but there are only small amounts that I would update. And let me explain why. Mm. That very same year that I published the book, I wrote a blog post called The Seven Year Itch. Now, the reason okay. I wrote the blog post is because customer experience was first recognized as a profession in mm. its own right in 2011. OK, so 2018 was seven years since that happened. Right. And I wrote The Seven Year Itch because for me, customer experience, whilst we'd created a lot of visibility, nothing was changing. You know, and because nothing was changing, many organizations already were starting to go backwards, not forwards. Mm. Now, since that blog post in 2018, I could have written the eight year itch, the nine year itch, the 10 year itch, the 11 year <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, if I'm, if I'm really honest about this, in 2023, are organizations approaching customer experience in a better way than they were in 2018? In most cases, no. Um, sadly, it sounds mm. like I'm being extremely blunt, but but that, that is unfortunately the situation. Um, mm. I'm more talking about it at 100%, mm. but talking about it doesn't mean anything. Um, have legacy businesses truly changed their mindset? Uh, have they truly become customer-led rather than product or sales-led? Mm. No, but they haven't. And, and I think, unfortunately, we're, we're in a post-COVID world now as well, where, unfortunately, we've become even more task-focused than ever before. Mm. And so it, it, we are continuing, it really, to spiral into a, a not particularly good position. And, you know, I, I, there are companies that I will state when I'm sharing mm. knowledge with people. I won't say anything now because they might be listening. Um but, you know, most organizations today that have been focusing on customer experience for 10, 15, 20 years, if you mention their names, people's hearts sink. And you, you can probably guess some of the names that are mm. going through my mind right now. Um, but they've had a customer experience team, a focus for 20 years, but they are not focusing in it for long enough to deliver any measurable change. So a very long-winded way of saying, I could elements of it but at the moment not enough has changed for me to warrant doing that i was in fact i did agree to write my second book 
but mm. I, I have postponed it because I've, I've just got too much going on at the moment and I, it, I wouldn't be able to give it the attention that it needs. But a, a second book will happen at some point. Do, do you think there is a difference between customer service and customer experience? Yeah, 100%. Um, most organisations get that, but mm. there are still a lot that don't. Mm. Um, I was once chastised by a board member for trying to describe the difference between customer service and customer experience. They said to me, stop banging on about this, Ian. They're the same thing. They're not. Mm. Um, my standard description is that customer service is one element of the experience that an organization delivers to its customers. It's a vitally important element, but it's just one element mm. in exactly the same way that marketing is, that operations is, that logistics is, that finance is, that custom, uh, HR is, that everything is. Mm. Customer experience is the representation of everything the organization does that enables customers to interact with products and services. Um, even when I, earlier on in my career, I, I, I always had a huge amount of empathy for customer service teams because this misunderstanding of customer experience and customer service meant that everyone pointed the finger at the contact center. It's all there mm. for them. You know, but, but they don't cause the problem. They're mm. the ones that have to deal with the problem Lock that's been created yeah. somewhere else. Um, mm. but, but that lack of understanding of the need for cross-functional collaboration across the whole organization mm. is one of the reasons why many are failing to transform. I can no surprise. I wholeheartedly agree with all that. I think the for me the way I've sort of thought always thought about the difference between the two is customer service is something you have to do, and customer experience is something you want to do. And if you want to do it, then you can start thinking about where can I give a positive customer experience? Because customer service can often just be that, like you mentioned, is they're often just cost centres, you know, related yes. to what they're selling. And in an ideal world, there wouldn't be anything. So it's like, we'll get rid of it all or automate it all because we don't want it in the first place. Yeah. The customer experience, well, actually, is there a chance to do, do well, something else with this? Well, let me give you a slightly different perspective on mm. all of that because one of the things that every organization needs to get its head around is that it has always been delivering a customer experience. Mm. From the day an organization was created, it was delivering an experience. But, but it's only very recently that we've become consciously aware of that fact. And, and this is the frustration when organizations say, we're, we're doing customer experience. You know, but just talking about it doesn't mean the experience is any good. You know, that the objective here is that you've got to know what that experience looks like so you can then determine how to continuously improve its ability to meet the needs and expectations of your customers. But to improve the needs and expectations of your customers that can't just happen in the contact center. That, that's mm. got to happen by the people who are developing the marketing campaigns. Mm. It's got to happen by the people that are putting the technology in place. And when we think about technology, to, to your point about automation, um, my, I, did a, I had a conversation yesterday with someone in the US about AI. Mm. And I'm asked a lot about AI. Mm. You may want to ask me about that as well. Um, next, yep. <laughs> uh, but, you know, AI, it, well, technology in general, 
Okay, it, it is inevitable that we will become increasingly more digitally enabled going forward. Mm. You know, we already we have been, we will continue to be, and it will definitely keep accelerating. But whilst automation is vital, it, it isn't the automation that worries me. It's the motivation for using the automation that worries me. Mm. Um, too many organizations see automation as a way of eliminating human interaction. Mm. Okay, yep. uh, to save money. That is the, the, the primary objective yep. is to save money and cut cost. Now, I've always been a believer that if you want to cut cost, it's easy. Um, and anyone working in the contact center world knows this fire people. You know, if you get rid of people, you will save money immediately. But if you fire people without understanding what the experience looks like, you will achieve your objective of saving money, but you will make the experience worse. Mm. For me, technology is that the risk of technology is if we throw it at the customer journey with the motivation of saving money mm. without understanding the journey. Again, we will achieve the objective of saving money, but we will make the experience worse. And, and what that means is that we've got this dilemma of short term focus mm. on money or developing longer, deeper relationships with customers over time. Mm. You know, and sustainable growth doesn't come from cutting cost. Sustainable growth comes from developing those long relationships over time. Uh, and, and so I am a believer that AI actually is vitally important at eliminating unnecessary activity. You know, the amount of stuff that contact centers deal with every day that they, quite frankly, shouldn't have to deal with. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. those repeat things over and over again. If AI can deal with that, it gives humans the ability to focus on the stuff that matters, the stuff that's really important. Um, and my final preach on this, Chris, because I, I preach about it, what I want businesses to understand is that customer experience has always been and will always be about human to human interaction. Even if you're using technology, human beings have to be behind that technology to make it work, okay, mm. and for it to achieve the right objective. Um, and it doesn't matter how digitally enabled we become, business will always be about human to human interaction. And that's something that I will say to boards of directors on a weekly basis. So if you use technology to, um, if your focus on technology is to, does this improve the customer experience? That's yes. a good thing. 100%. If it's, do we use technology to remove contacts? That may not be a good experience. It, because It is likely to make the experience yeah. worse. Got it. it. But Because it's out of context. You know, and, yeah. um, I, I, I share a lot of knowledge on this subject. And one of the core competencies for the world of customer experience is being able to understand and manage the customer journey. Yeah. Now, it's remarkable how many organizations still don't know what their journeys look like, yeah. but, but they're putting technology in place, not knowing that, you know, and, and so what they're actually doing is buying technology, forcing their processes into mm. it and, yeah. and customers just get whatever they get, you know, and, and that, that mentality needs to change. Um, I, I've, I am a self-confessed technophobe, I have to admit, but I know for a fact that most organizations are using technology to a fraction of its real capability. Mm. You know, if they really understood the technology and how it can actually improve the journey, 
you know, not only would we have that greater ability to develop better relationships with customers, we would save money at the same time. And saving money is not the same thing as cutting cost, you know, but but that's what I believe. Technology, if it's used correctly, can save a huge amount of money. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, the, 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 I've been saying a lot recently, and yet this will make you laugh, I'm sure, there is a word that I would love to get eliminated from the English dictionary at the moment, um, that word being stretched. Okay. You know, everyone <laughs> cool. tells yeah. me that they're stretched. Right. We haven't got enough people, not enough resources. We're all stretched. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and that is a code word for we've become even more task focused than ever before. Mm. And the problem with being so um, task focused is that no one has any time to think. Mm. And if you've got no time to think, you just get carry Mm. on doing the, the same old stuff over and over again, whether it's right or wrong. People get. Um, frustrated they get burnt out um, we have got to give people time to think and again technology it's there it already exists if we use it in the right way it can create that capacity to enable people to think focus on what matters and eliminate the things that are going wrong yeah i mean i completely agree i mean my um i've spent a long time in this industry as well and i've been my first ever job was in a was in a contact center and then i've been involved in the technology provider side to two contact centers and and um never ceased to make me sometimes how like you mentioned people don't use the technology properly but how many will go and buy something brand new and shiny yeah. but the there are so many things at the bottom layer that are just you know gone wrong and, and often you know I, I sort of see this paradigm between uh, contact centers where they've got a seesaw which is if we want to reduce cost then let's try and automate as much as possible but that's going to impact our csat well our best csat is when we get more people talking to people but that's our highest cost and it's trying to find that where where that pivot is to do the yeah. right thing yeah, that's right. um but um where, where do you think um the, the i mean this is it's probably a big poster question i'm gonna try and make it a bit more yeah. specific but Rather than be sort of generalised as to where we think the biggest challenges are in the CX industry, if I if I put it on the lens of the customer side, what, where, where do you, in your experience and talking to your clients, where do you see the challenges coming from? Because there's one thing talking about um, companies' ability to change what they're doing, but it, obviously it needs to meet what the customers want, and and yeah. those expectations are changing, and COVID yes. sort of set a lot of that up as well. Where, where do you see? Whether it whether challenges the raw word, but where do you see their expectations moving and have moved um, in recent times? So, uh, I think it, it, this is a really really important topic because mm. w- one that there are many inevitabilities in life and in mm. business, but an inevitability is that customer behaviour will constantly change. Yeah, you know, and it will constantly change um, either because of socioeconomic factors that are out of their control, or it will change because Others, uh, i.e. disruptors in all sorts of industries, will come in and make their lives easier, different, um, more effective, that changes the way they think they should be able to interact with others. Mm. So, uh, you know, the the very overused example of Amazon, for example, Mm. um, Amazon has changed the nature of the way we expect to be able to shop because Amazon have made it so easy mm. that we expect 
everyone to be as easy as that. The, the problem is, is that we don't expect it to be as easy as that. So um, Amazon have done such a good job of consistently making it easy. Mm. Even if we know we can get this, the product from somewhere else, we will probably look on Amazon first. You know, but what I, I always have to say to people is that Amazon don't sell anything that's unique. They sell the same stuff as everyone else. And it's not about products. It's about accessibility it, mm. is the key for them. Uh, and so what is vital is that we live in a world of predominantly legacy businesses, you know, legacy businesses that were not created to be customer led. Mm. They were created to be product led, sales led. If they don't change yeah. their mindset, they will cease to exist but, but ultimately. But because, um, you know, to a degree, I don't know whether or not you like me saying this, but you yourself, your organization is a disruptor in your industry. Mm. Um, all industries are being disrupted by those who can come straight into your market with none of the legacy that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? They've got no broken processes. They've got no, you know, odd culture of mixing companies together mm. and they can go straight in at a level of differentiation across the whole experience that the legacy business can't now the the, the challenge for a legacy business is that it isn't even the customer journey that's the problem it's their processes that are the problem mm. because what organizations have started to think about is okay Customer behavior is changing, so we must we must map the customer journey over and over again to make sure we see how it's changing. But the journey is enabled through processes. It's enabled through the things that you do. But how many organizations are revisiting their operating model mm. you know, to determine whether or not their processes align to the customer journey? Yeah. Because I can tell you, very few. Um, and this is the problem. Even if we know that the customer behavior changes, unless we're willing to constantly adapt our business operating model to align to that journey, it, we, we are going to have a problem. And the problem is going to either be that to serve the customer, it's just going to become increasingly more expensive because, mm. our, because our processes aren't aligned. We're having to break lots of things and you know do whatever it takes to make it work um or ultimately it, it will just fail because we are um taking our people for granted that they will do whatever it takes to make it work mm. right? and that's what i see every week you know experiences right now are being delivered predominantly by accident you know which is it's a strange expression the accidental experience tell me more about that the, the accidental experience is, is what your the people who deliver service in your world, yeah. it is delivered primarily through their goodwill. It, the accidental experience is delivered through the goodwill of people who will do whatever it takes to deliver the outcome the customer is looking for. Mm. Even if that means diverting processes, breaking processes, asking people for help that they shouldn't have to ask. And so when you think back to why are people so stretched, they're so stretched because it's taking them much longer than it should do to get stuff done, but they will literally crawl over hot coals to make it happen. Mm. The, 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 the reason it's the accidental experience is that as a customer, if you get the person who doesn't want to crawl over hot coals, you'll have a terrible experience. So for us as consumers, Interacting with most legacy businesses is a lottery. 
you know, if you're lucky to get the person who do whatever it takes, you're okay. If you get the person whose brain and heart was surgically removed at birth, then, <laughs> then it's not going to happen. And, no, and I, that, that is what it's like, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> you have... Um... You've delicately reminded me of, of a personal experience I had last week, which was, and this was a combination of bad technology, but also <clears throat> having someone that had their heart and soul removed. And then I won't name the company, but let's just yeah. say it's a, um, it's a it's a bed company. So oh, I was right. buying a bed for my new daughter's for my new daughter, my daughter's new bedroom. Not a new daughter. Yes. <laughs> been around. She's been around for nine years. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'd ordered a, a bed from this company before, and a day before the the uh, delivery day, you got an email to say, "Look, mm. it's going to be a tomorrow. Here's your window," sort of thing. And uh, and it, it didn't happen. And uh, and I forgot to chase on the day. And on the morning, so I'd, I'd taken the morning off of work to hopefully get this bed. Big deal. New bed for for dear Molly. And um, I think that's oh, And I was like, well, I looked on the website and it said it's, it's expected today, but it didn't actually say it was dispatched. So I was like, I've got to call them. I'm like, uh, um, you know, I'm now of the opinion. I just don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put phone calls into people. So you put the call in, they had a message about they're really busy during the pandemic. Mm. Like, it was 2023. <laughs> okay, well, it's May. <laughs> Um, anyway, I get through to someone. I said, I need to check on this um, thing. I said, I think my bed's out for delivery. I looked on your website, said it's out for delivery. I'm pretty sure I selected this with the date, but it, I haven't had an email. Uh, you, Mr. Customer, really quite direct, you have selected the 1st of June for it to be delivered. And I was like, I, I don't think I would have done because I'm not in the country then. And I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure I did. No, no, it says here, customer selected this date. We went back and forth and it was in, it was just like a bit of a computer says no moment. And I ended up getting, a, I got the ump basically. And I said, right, okay, well, it's not going to be here. Fine. Get changed. So I got to go into London, open the front door. And there's a guy there. I've Love got it. a bed for you, sir. I'm like, oh my God, you can't wait yourself. I was like, come in here, put it, put it all down there. I called the company back and I said, um, can I just check where my bed's out for delivery? Yeah, you've selected the 1st of June. Right, okay. So yeah. here's my problem. I thought it was going to be delivered on the, on the 11th of May. Your website said it was going to be delivered on the 11th of May, and it's here. Do you, know <laughs> you know what they said? Go on. You selected it was going to be. I said, well, why is it here then? And I was just like, oh, my God, please just, anyway, someone yeah, shoot me now. That is the accidental experience. Yeah. You see, because you could order that same bed now, yeah. and the experience could be seamless. Yeah. And that's the problem. We, we don't know. That this is no. what I describe as the random that's experience. Yeah. Right? We just don't know. Is it going to work or is it not going to work? And, no. and I think... But because all of us have had experiences like this for so long, but we almost expect things not to work, you know, but but it shouldn't be that way. But, no. but what that bed company are failing to understand is how much it's costing them. You know, every time, I mean, in your world, you understand these numbers better than me, but just picking up the phone is costing them money. Yeah, yeah. The amount of phone calls you're making, it, it, yeah. it's that you shouldn't have to make. So forget about your dissatisfaction. Um, the, the, one of the, the things I challenge CEOs to often is something I've always admired about contact centers is their understanding of the cost to serve. And what I've said to many organizations is, what if you translated the cost to serve in a cost contact center to become the cost to deliver the experience end to end? Mm. All right. Because so not just what happens in the contact center, but everything, mm. you know, uh, th then you'd start to realize just how much money you are spending to make this happen. 
mm. and how much money you shouldn't have to be spending. Um, that there is not enough of an understanding of that. And uh, I've got a huge admiration for what contact centers have done over the last 30, 40 years. And I still believe that not enough of that knowledge and expertise is being used in the other parts of the organization. Mm. Uh, well, one last question, and we're probably going to, have to get it to the end. Do, do you think there's a uh, an issue or challenge on the supply side? So I mean, actually, the availability of the people that sit in the customer service organizations. That's an interesting question. Um, if you'd have asked me that question a year ago, yeah. 18 months ago, I would have said definitely. Um, I think, again, the pandemic had a so many impacts on all of us in so many ways. Mm. But I think the uh, the need in many cases to get rid of um, uh, fixed costs in terms of people did a lot of damage to many industries. Um, but we also mustn't underestimate how many people retired during the COVID period. Mm. Um, I do quite a lot of work in the financial services industry. Mm. Um, people with so much knowledge up here yeah. you know, thought, you know what, well, I, I don't want to go back anymore. I don't, I've had enough. Mm. Um, and replacing that, because many organisations didn't have a contingency for that. So mm. I think we've lost a lot of historical, um, very deep knowledge. I think we lost a lot of very good, capable people who during that period of time may have found other things that they enjoy more mm. um, than either sitting and answering the telephone or doing other jobs. Um, as we know, coming out of the pandemic, um, going through an airport was an utter nightmare, and largely because they, they mm. couldn't get baggage handlers. Now, the reason they couldn't get baggage handlers is that they treated them terribly before the pandemic. They then laid them all off. And all of those baggage handlers then went and got jobs as Amazon delivery drivers, getting three times more money being treated. Yeah, to blow people's customer experience out the wall because they and get they, their... they didn't want to come back. So yeah. I, I think um, it, the hospitality industry is probably the best example of it. I think for the last year or so, it, you know, getting served in restaurants and hotels wasn't great because they yeah. struggled to get mm. the right kind of people back. I think I can see it changing now. I think it's more like it used to be. Um, I, I, but I think there is a, a bigger issue. And the bigger issue comes back to this point about changing customer behavior. Mm. Because I also think we've got to get our heads around changing employee behavior. And um, if we think about contact centers specifically, people that work in contact centers tend to be a much younger demographic. Yeah. Um, but, but I think we've got to start realizing that Young people don't want to work in a contact centre. Or work eight hours a day. They don't want to work in an office. You yeah. know, they don't, they don't, it, my, my kids think I'm mad. What, you spend the whole day looking at a, your yeah. laptop? It's like, I know, yeah. um, uh, and so I think, we, I don't think organisations have got their head around this yet. Um, yeah. But we, we're moving into a generation where as more and more people do retire, mm, yeah. who are you going to replace yeah. them with? Because they, they don't, the, the younger generation don't want to do it. And if they don't want to do it, what are we going to do? And so I think there is a that there is a bigger issue coming down the track that yeah. we've got to start thinking about, and we've got to try and find a way of making it more attractive for the younger generation, because that they at the moment can't see what's in it for them. Well, what's the mm. point? What's it going to give me? Um, and I think that that is something that isn't really talked about, but needs to be talked about more. Couldn't agree more. Uh... 
one of the reasons why we're here as a business from Limitless Society is just that ability to, rather than try and find the people and bring them to work, is take the work and broadcast it out to the people because yes. then you remove the barriers and they can work wherever they are, they can work exactly. more flexibly. And that has proven in our world to just change the behavior, but also it's it's, it's absolutely changed the customer experience because when, yeah. when you when you're working as a freelancer or you're working as a gig, gig CX expert or what it's almost like you're your own little business yes and yes. your personal reputation score is your rating like exactly. an uber driver like a whatever ebay seller where it is so your rating on this i'm delivering customer service on behalf of this brand who i've already chosen to buy from anyway with another customer my rating is my currency yes i'm getting paid for answering queries but that mindset difference is not something you can possibly train in a contact center. Like, absolutely you know, right. It's, oh, oh. I suppose it's the, the Fiverr analogy as well. It's you know, like that, yeah. It's, yeah. And I agree with you that there's yeah. not – I see it more and more, actually. It's like, why, why am I working so hard to make money for the these men yeah. in suits kind of thing? It's like, yeah. you know, it, it, if, if we give people some skin in the game, which is a phrase I don't particularly like, it, their motivation is totally different. Mm. Um, and so I think what you've created is brilliant, actually. Um, and I think going forward, we will probably see more and more of this in other industries. I as hope well. so. <laughs> That's the name of the game for us anyway. That's what we're really in it for. Perfect. But anyway, well, Ian, it's been a fascinating chat. Really enjoyed it. And um, we, we were talking offline. It's, it turns out you, you live where I'm going to be traveling this weekend. So you know, we well, yeah. well, I can tell you it's a bit cloudy at the moment. So you might you might need a brolly, but but hopefully it will get sunnier by the time you get here. <laughs> Love a bit of that. Well, um, and where, where do people find you, Ian? Um, I, unfortunately, some will say my face is too visible. Um, so <laughs> I, they can find me quite easily on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to, okay. to find me. Um, and they they will if if people want to get recognition for what they do. I am always hosting customer experience awards mm. in various parts of the world. And in fact, at midnight tonight, I will be hosting the US Customer Experience Awards. I saw that. Vir virtually. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, p p if people want to find me, it's not too difficult to do so. And if they do want to buy my book, not that I'm trying to sell it, they can find it on Amazon. Unsurprisingly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be there in record time. Uh, thanks so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. And um, stay tuned for the next in the series. But until now, we'll say goodbye. Thanks, Chris, and safe travels. Thank you.